you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. There are three things you're not supposed to talk about with other people, right? Can anybody tell me what they are? Politics, religion, and money. Guess what? We're going to talk about all three somewhere at First Church this week. Uh, If you're in our Revelation study, it is full-on politics right in your face, Uh, maybe differently than you thought of it, but it is. We're spending every Thursday evening looking at this book that says at some point, every nation becomes empire. An empire demands your allegiance uh, first to it over anything else. That is a political message. Uh, that, that regardless of what nation it is, they are going to demand uh, your first uh, heart to them. So we talked about that on Thursday night. Some of you have been able to avoid the discussion of politics there. Uh, this, is, this is a church, so we do talk about religion. That's the one I can feel comfortable saying, like, I hope you knew there was going to be some religion discussion if you showed up this morning, right? Okay. And then money. We're in this series where we've been doing the epistle texts, um, uh, these letters that come at the end of the scriptures, and, and it's clearly about money. Uh, uh, Brad and I had breakfast this week, and we were talking about how some people love having three or four scripture readings, and some people don't love them at all, and how some weeks they're not connected, and we don't get to talk about them, and some weeks they are. If there was a week I wanted to kind of pivot and get away from the text that I was going to preach, it might be this week's. I don't like preaching about money. Um, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Uh, we often hear a message and uh, think it was tailored just to us. Oh, she was preaching everything right to me this whole time. Uh, I have not pictured any one of you uh, as we talk about money, but I couldn't flee from it. All three of our readings this week deal with money. I couldn't pivot to the gospel. I couldn't pivot to the Old Testament, Old Testament lesson. We, we, we start our readings with Amos. This uh, prophet of Tekoa, this person sent by God to go and to declare woes to Israel. And Amos's message throughout the book is, uh, you have left God, you have become idolatrous, you are worshiping something else. And for this group, uh, he comes and says, and that thing is your status. Uh, the critique across the book of Amos is, look at how you lounge on your comfortable lanai and uh, drink this fancy wine and do all of this, all while these people are trampled upon. Woe to you. Ooh, that's a fun sermon, isn't it? That's a, that's a fun text to preach on. We could, we could hop over to the gospel text, because the gospel's about Jesus and love, right? It's, it's always a surefire, easy breezy sermon. Uh, This week, we get the gospel lesson about Lazarus and the rich man. We don't even get the rich man's name is how uh, this story goes. We get this picture of uh, a man who's got an opulent place to dine and to dwell, uh, to enjoy the finer things of life, and and right outside his door sits uh, this beggar, Lazarus. Not Lazarus of Bethany. We have two Lazaruses. This is like a common name then 
We don't have many Lazaruses in our school rosters these days, but this is different Lazarus, poor man sitting outside the rich man's door. Oh, that I might just have the crumbs from your table. Dogs are licking his sores, and he is sitting in abject poverty, longing for just anything. And the story says that they both kind of die at the same time, and uh, the, the poor man Lazarus goes to wherever wherever Father Abraham is, and Lazarus goes uh, to the place of death. We could call them heaven and hell. We could could try to make that jump, but whatever it is, there's a place where Abraham is and this poor man, and then there's this place of torment where where, um, the rich man is. And the rich man gets there and realizes, oh, I don't want to be here. How do I get over there? And the message is, you, you can't. You didn't look upon this poor man with any, uh, any heart or compassion. And immediately, the rich man goes, well, if I can't get out of here, at least go tell my family, the ones who are now uh, holding these assets that I had and who, who were with me at all these parties. And he says, well, they should know. <laughs> they have the law. They have this revelation of God, they should know that you don't trample on people, that you don't leave people outside your gate hungry. That's a fun Jesus sermon, isn't it? And then we flip to Timothy, this letter where Paul is writing to his uh, kind of uh, mentee in ministry. He has been planting churches, they've been traveling together, and then he's kind of sent Timothy back over to Ephesus. Go and pastor this church that's having some problems, and I'm going to send you a letter. I'm, I'm following up with some of the complaints you've had and some of the problems you've dealt with. We've kind of been walking through those, and we get to this passage today, which just doesn't let us off the hook. So we have to preach about money. That uncomfortable look is what I expected uh, as we get to this text. It is uh, not an easy, breezy, fun-loving text. Paul writes to Timothy, actually, Godliness is a great source of profit when it is combined with being happy with what you already have. We didn't bring anything into the world, and so we can't take anything out of it. Uh, We'll be happy with food and clothing, but people who are trying to get rich fall into temptation. They're trapped by many uh, stupid and harmful passions that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith and have impelled themselves with a lot of pain because they have made money their goal. But as for you, man of God, run away from all these things. Instead, pursue righteousness, holy living, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. Compete in the good fight of faith. Grab hold of eternal life. You were called to it, and you made a good confession of it in your presence of many witnesses. I command you in all the presence of Christ who gives life to all things in uh, uh, Christ Jesus who made the good confession when testifying before Pontius Pilate. Obey this order without fault or failure until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. The timing of this appearance is revealed by God alone who is the blessed and only master, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He alone has immortality and lives in light that no one can come near. No human being has ever seen or is able to see him. Honor and eternal power belong to him. Amen. Tell the people who are rich at this time not to become egotistical and not to place their hope on their finances, which are uncertain. Instead, they need to hope in God, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. 
Tell them to do good, to be rich in the good things they do, to be generous and to share with others. When they do these things, they will save a treasure for themselves that is a good foundation for the future. That way they can truly take hold of what is life. It'd be a lot easier if the New Testament had a really consistent picture of how people should be with money. Um, if we come to a certain part of the Gospels, uh, we'll find somebody who loves money. They're a rich young ruler, and they come to Jesus and say, what do I have to do to follow you? You have to sell everything. Then and only then could you follow me. We have other Gospel pictures of rich people who could have done differently with their wealth, but but who aren't seemingly told to give it all away. We have Acts, where the, the earliest part of the Jesus movement did. They sold everything, and they held it in common, and they couldn't imagine that there would be one group with accumulated assets and another group who was starving. But not far down the road, there is a question of how we do take care of each other and who does have money, and where, are there, where is there um, assets that are um, being held by the Christians? Paul regularly critiques... Uh, folks around their activity with money, but he doesn't say the only way to heaven is to sell it all and give it away. It'd be easier if he did. Money is the root of all evil, right? Is it? What's the actual phrase? Okay, so y'all have paid attention. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, the text says. This is a text that absolutely confronts the realities of, of what it is to be rich, but especially to be rich uh, when you give your heart to that money. When instead of your heart being uh, aligned with the desire for God, your heart is now desiring uh, these other things. When you have, uh, when you have kind of taken away that, that uh, longing uh, for holiness in God, and instead you're longing for more and more. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It'd be easier if it just said money is the root of all evils. We, know, we can look uh, fairly objectively and say, that person's got money and that person doesn't, right? Uh, I mean, if, if we produced our balance sheets, we could, we could find what the definition of rich is. In this country, it's a net worth of 2.1 million or higher uh, would consider you rich. And if we all were comfortable sharing our balance sheets, we could go, ah, oh, that person's rich, that one's not, this one is, this one's not, and we could kind of check off our boxes, right? Sell whatever you have extra over 2.1 million, so you're now just wealthy, not rich. But that's not what the text tells us. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love you have for your assets does not show up on a balance sheet. The way you understand the relation to your finances and your assets does not um, translate into uh, a piece of paper. Uh, this week in Revelation, we were talking about these seven churches that Jesus sends a message to, and one he sends a message to is, is the church at Ephesus. And he says, you're doing all the right Christian things. You are enduring patiently. You have steadfast this and you do this, but you have lost your first love. And rightly, the group brought up the question, how do we know if we've lost our first love? And that's the hard thing about uh, this letter to the church at Ephesus, because they're doing all the things the church is supposed to do. 
but their heart has gone to something or someone else. And they said, so how do we know, how do we know if we've lost our first love? It's a lot harder. We know we've lost our first love when the Holy Spirit testifies to us uh, that we have uh, forsaken God. We know we have lost our first love when people who are in our lives say, what's going on? We know we have lost our first love when those who hold us accountable call us to accountability. But friends, that presumes we have those people in our lives. People who would say, you've lost your first love. Or, uh, you've made money your first love. You've made uh, that job promotion your first love. You've made that uh, setting up the, the um, trust for your next kids your first love. There's a presumption that, uh, that we can uh, hold each other uh, together as the church. The, the message here is for Timothy to go and tell this to the believers. Hey, you that aren't rich, don't strive for it. It often is problematic, but you who are rich, here's what I want you to do. And it's not go sell it. It's here are some outside or some uh, external ways that we can know that you haven't lost your first love, that, that your heart is not aligned just to these dollars. For Timothy, for Timothy, he is to pursue righteousness, holy living, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. This is for those folks who don't have the assets yet. How do we know that, that your heart is not chasing after these things? Well, you're gentle. You're pursuing holy living. You are uh, faithful. You have love. And then a little farther down, he says, but for those of you who do have these assets, who would be called rich, who, who uh, do have this stature, here's what we need to see from you, that you do good, that your richness is poured forth in the good things you do, that you are generous and share with others. Uh, you don't have to be rich to love money. Um, does that sound shocking? You don't have to be rich to love money. Uh, often, uh, it's, it's uh, some of the farthest away from riches that would say that money is the thing they are chasing, right? Uh, it's this thing that promises uh, good things, that promises uh, a better life. Have we lost our first love? Now, Money gets a lot, of, a lot of ink space in the New Testament as one of the things that can become idolatrous for us. But friends, it is, uh, far, uh, it is, it is not the only one. Um, I'm going to let you chew on those things in your life that might make you lose your first love. Is it uh, your kids being the best? Is it uh, um, appearing um, all put together whenever you see that neighbor? Is it money? Is it that promotion? Is it whatever? Do you have people in your life who can ask that question with you? Friends who will say, I'm sorry, but you seem to have lost your way. Do you have uh, this appeal to the means of grace where you're asking the Holy Spirit to testify to you? Uh, do, is my heart aligned to you? 
feels awfully uncomfortable, doesn't it? To question, have we lost our first love? Have we uh, chosen to love something else? And are we so separated from community and from the testimony of the Spirit that we might not even know it? That we might be like Lazarus, or like the, the rich man. This rich man thought he was doing right. This rich man uh, probably didn't have any awareness. What a shame. Idolatry is uh, sneaky and deceptive and will slide in without any uh, fanfare or warning. Do you have people that will hold you accountable and are you listening to the Holy Spirit? I wish the church was easy and you could just bring your balance sheet every week and you could come and tell me about the things you've done. You've done the churchy acts, great. But it's not the gospel. The gospel is that uh, we are being transformed on our insides, that we are loving God more fully because of what God has done for us. Friends, we could have no good relation to money outside the grace of God. Uh, if God's grace was not coming and working in and through our lives, every one of us would love money first. I can guarantee you. Take it to the bank and cash that check. Without God's grace, we can't help be but idolatrous. But God is lavishing that grace on every one of you. He is pouring it out and saying, don't lose your first love. Amen? Lord, uh, hear our prayers. Um, hear our hearts and our spirits crying out to you. We long to remain having you as our first love. We, we long to uh, show that our lives are full of uh, good deeds and righteousness, of justice and uh, of uh, compassion. We long uh, to be a faithful people And yet those idols just creep in so easily, Lord. Would you meet us at this very table and fill us with your sanctifying grace that we might be set free from idolatry, that our hearts might turn to you and that uh, your love might fill us and that in turn we might go and love well. Lord, would you meet us here? Convict us and transform us. Meet us here and show us what it means to trust in your spirit, to bear witness to, to uh, how we are. Meet us at that table and give us a boldness to ask somebody to speak into our lives. Meet us at this table, Lord, and shape us in your image that we go forth and bear witness to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.